With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. production of The Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com, that's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T.com, or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. At The Speculist and on Fast Forward Radio, we talk about what's happening in the world today and where the world is going, and we take a pretty unusual view of those matters. We believe that the world might just be getting better all the time. We believe that if you're not excited about the future, you're not paying attention, and we think that something is going to happen, something wonderful. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-futurist, co-blogger, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? I'm super fantastic. How are you, my friend? I'm psyched about tonight's show. We got a big one tonight, and we're going to jump right into it. But first, of course, we have to say hello to Michael Darling, our chat host, who is with us this evening. Hey, all. Michael, you got a big, big job tonight because you're going to be gathering all the uh, ideas we're going to be collecting in the second half of the show. So get ready. We're, we're going to get a bunch of ideas for uh, for things to do at Convergence 08. So I hope you're uh, hope you're in good typing form tonight. I'm going to make them up if there's none provided. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thanks. That's the spirit. Okay, well let's jump right into it. We've got two very special guests with us this evening. Both of them. Uh, Good friends of Fast Forward Radio. First off, I want to introduce Christine Peterson. She is the president of Foresight Nanotech Institute. Uh, Christine writes, lectures, and briefs the media on coming powerful technologies, especially nanotech. She's the founder and vice president of Foresight Nanotech Institute. Uh, well, actually, I just said she's the president of that, so I, I guess she, she wears more hats than uh, uh, they're, they're just the one there. Um, anyway, uh, for those who aren't familiar, Foresight educates the public, uh, the technical community, and policymakers on nanotechnology and its long-term effects. Uh, Christine also serves on the advisory board of the International Council on Nanotechnology and the editorial advisory board of NASA, NASA's Nanotech Briefs and on California's Blue Ribbon Task Force on Nanotechnology. Christine, welcome back to Fast Forward Radio. Oh, great to be here, Phil. Always a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Uh, now, did I get that? Did I get that wrong? You're not both the president and a vice president, are you? Or do you? I, I I alternate. I go back and forth. At the moment, it's president. Okay. All right. So I had it right the first time. So I'll try to uh, I'll try to clean up my uh, introductory text here that I keep for our recurring guests. Now, our next guest uh, is P.J. Manny. She's a writer and futurist and a leading voice in the H Plus movement. Uh, PJ has written extensively on transhumanism and related topics as well as for television. Uh, especially important to Stephen is that she was on the 
Xena Warrior Princess program and Hercules' <laughs> Legendary Journey. Uh, of course. PJ <laughs> has a novel under development. I've been saying that for some time, so at, at some point I'm going to say PJ has just finished uh, or will be signing her novel here. But <laughs> we're not to that point yet, I don't think, but stay tuned. Now, PJ is the chairman of the board of directors of the World Transhumanist Association, or am I supposed to just say H plus now? You're supposed to just say Humanity Plus. Excuse me. Let me try again. PJ is the chairman of the board of directors of Humanity Plus, and she's a senior <laughs> associate at Foresight Nanotech Institute, and she's on the scientific advisory board for the Lifeboat Foundation. Plus, she's a frequent guest and regular contributor to this program. PJ, welcome back to Fast Forward Radio. Thank you very much, guys. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to have you here. So we um, have a charter this evening. We want to talk about the upcoming Convergence 08 event. And what I would like to do, if I could, is I want to get into this from the standpoint of uh, a, uh, a senior associate with Foresight Nanotech, because this is, uh, this is how I've come to learn about this event. And to me, this is what's happening this year instead of uh, the Vision Weekend, or is it in place of the Vision Weekend, or is this what the Vision Weekend has evolved into? So I, uh, just to get some background on that, Christine, could you lead us through the evolution that's occurred here to get us to Convergence 08? Well, Phil, as you know, for many years now, Foresight has had a Vision Weekend for our senior associate members. And last year, um, one of our Board of Directors members, Brad Tumbleton, said, look, let's change the format. Let's do an unconference. Um, and in unconference, the people attending do a lot of the self-organizing. They can actually step up and volunteer to give talks. They can lead their own discussions. Basically, an unconference takes all the wonderful discussions that, that normally take place in the hallway and give them a room and a name and a time so that everyone at the conference can take advantage of these spontaneous discussions. So it went fabulously well last year. And so this year, we wanted to do it again, but we wanted to broaden it out. Um, so now we've got um, six forward-looking organizations all coming together as supporting organizations for this conference. And uh, it's just going to be an amazing event, I think. So this is, uh, this is not a matter of foresight joining up with an event that was already occurring. There wasn't a Convergence 07 or... Was there? No, this is the first convergence, and uh, to some extent there will be some continuity with last year's on-conference that Foresight ran, but we've got a number of other really um, excellent nonprofits involved this time because we, we wanted to, to bring in other elements of, of future technologies rather than just the Foresight perspective. So it's, uh, it's going to be bigger than, than what Foresight can do on our own. Well, I, I note that uh, the topics, uh, when, when you go just to the – uh, just the, the, the front page of the, of the website for Convergence 08, the topics are nanotech, biotech, cogtech, and infotech. Um, and these are definitely all topics that we've seen discussed, heard discussed at uh, Vision Weekends in the past. So th this is uh, a, a deliberate effort, I guess, to, to kind of broaden the scope and to officially in incorporate all these different ideas rather than have them discuss sort of on the side at a, at a nanotech conference? Well, what has been happening in the past few years is that a number of these uh, organizations that are all looking at future technologies have been saying to each other, look, we want to come together more. We want to collaborate more. These ideas do not operate separately 
all these future technologies are going to interact. And you can't really envision a future that makes sense unless you pull all of this together. So rather than have, say, six separate small conferences, we said, now look, let's just pull it all together. Let's have one big one uh, in a collaborative way. And so far, it's just been wonderful. It's, and it's interesting that the relationship between, um, between the different topics is, is something that I've, I've uh, noticed at these, at these events in the past. And it's, it's kind of a driver behind what we do at the Speculist and the, and the kinds of things we talk about on, on Fast Forward Radio as well. It, it's hard to talk about uh, nanotech, for example, in complete isolation because as soon as you start talking about it, you, you get into this, well, is it wet or dry? And if it's wet, then it's kind of like biotech, right? Or if, if you get to talking about artificial intelligence, uh, definitely one of, the, uh, one of the paths towards artificial intelligence would be uh, the, the kind of computing power that eventually nanotechnology will provide us. So, so rather, than, rather than looking at these ideas in isolation as silos, uh, the, the idea here is let's, let's bring all this, uh, let's converge all these different ideas and, and have a real conversation amongst the different fields. That's exactly right, Phil. That, that's the perspective that we all had, and we said, look, we want to bring this together in one big event. So that's what Convergence 08 is going to be. It sounds very exciting. I'm really looking forward to being there. And PJ, tell us a little bit about how you came to be involved in it and what are you currently doing with Convergence 08? Well, uh, our organization, Humanity Plus, was one of those organizations, uh, as Christine was saying, that wanted to get together and talk about this in a group. We realized that fields are converging and our organizations could greatly benefit by all joining together and pooling our resources, if you will. Uh, none of us are extremely large and powerful organizations, uh, so uh, getting together was a smart idea at many levels. And uh, what are you personally doing? Uh, you have a role related to the event yourself. Is that what right? I'm personally doing is basically learning a whole hell of a lot from Christine on how you run one of these events. Okay. <laughs> and uh, helping out in that matter, but also helping with the, the media, the, the positioning of our message, things like that. Um, and hopefully I'll also be uh, hosting and emceeing the event as well. Now, I see that the uh, supporting organizations are Foresight Nanotech Institute, Humanity Plus, uh, mnst.org, uh, the Singularity Institute for Artificial Intelligence, the Long Now Foundation, the Methuselah Foundation, and uh, something I'm not familiar with, am I going to pronounce this correctly if I say CyBrev? Is that CyBrev? Uh, you know, no one has ever actually pronounced it to me either, so yeah. it sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. Sounds right. <laughs> it's something like, that's phonetic, but uh, if, I, if, I, if I said it horribly wrong, if I mangled the pronunciation, I apologize, and I, I will make up for it after uh, meeting these folks in person in a couple of weeks. Um, so uh, how did we pick these organizations, and um, what's the difference between the supporting organizations and the cooperating organizations? Christine, do you want to take this? Uh, Phil, when you ask these questions, go ahead and say who you want to answer. Oh, sorry about that. Yes. I, I was just throwing it out. It's a nun show, you know. Uh, Stephen, what do you think? What's the difference? <laughs> no idea. Let's ask Christine. <laughs> what, what, what's the difference between a supporting organization and a – because I see some uh, – 
I see some usual suspects down there in the cooperating organizations, too, the kinds of folks that are normally represented at, uh, uh, you know, if you go to the uh, Singularity Summit or if you go to the Vision Weekend. You see folks from a lot, of these, uh, a lot of these different groups. I was just wondering, what's the difference between those that are supporting and those that are cooperating? Well, the main difference is that the ones that are supporting um, either put in a great deal of time or substantial financial contributions, whereas the folks down in cooperating are also great folks, um, but uh, for whatever reason, they weren't able to do either of those. And so they're mainly putting in um, assistance in terms of getting the word out. I see. Okay. So, uh, but, but we can probably expect to see representatives or members from those groups at the, at the event as well. Oh, definitely. Oh, okay. Now, you know who I who's just and I'm just uh, throwing this out to whoever wants to respond, or if no one does, that's okay. But uh, it, it occurs to me that uh, Lifeboat Foundation ought to be on there. I wonder uh, what happened to those guys. <laughs> PJ, do you know? I don't know. I don't I remember. <laughs> I think um, the, I think the funny part is that so many. Yeah, I think that probably is an oversight. And the funny part is that so many people within all of these organizations are also members of Lifeboat. Right. That Lots of overlap, it's, yeah. It's tons of overlap in that, that particular organization. So, yeah, I think, honestly, it's probably an oversight. And thanks for making it public, Phil. Oh, well, I didn't <laughs> like that. I, I, I was just curious. Uh, but, of course, yeah, I, I mean, the point's, the point's well made that uh, – um, you, you get you get a bunch of people from these various organizations together, and there's going to be a lot of folks from Lifeboat there because we all have connections into Lifeboat. I mean, I'm a member of Humanity Plus. I'm a uh, I'm a senior associate with Foresight. Uh, I do some blogging for Lifeboat. I mean, mo most people who are part of one of these things are involved in three or four others as well. Isn't that fair to say? I think probably. Yes. So, so let's talk a little bit about the unconference methodology and exactly how that unfolds. But before we do that, let me say that this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about Convergence 08, and we're going to be gathering your ideas for what could be happening in just a couple of weeks in California when uh, a bunch of very interesting people get together, like-minded folks and some differently-minded folks, and talk about the future. So if you'd like to join our conversation, we've got live chat, or you can give us a call at 347-215-8972. So, Christine, uh, let's let's step through the idea of an unconference and how that differs from a conference. Because one thing I notice when I go to the website is there there are speakers listed. So it's not a completely spontaneous, uh, wholly just volunteer kind of a thing. And yet, most of the program is not yet filled out. So, so what's the um, what's the relationship between the 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 formal speakers and the other portion of the of, of, of the event, which is just kind of uh, organic and, and and occurs on its own. Yeah, the unconference portion of the of this event is um, is spontaneous. It is designed during the event itself. You can see a preview of it by looking on our wiki, where um, where people who want to lead a session or give a talk can volunteer to post their topic right now. So you can get a feel for the kinds of things that will be going on during the unconference portion. Foresight last year and, and Convergence this year are doing kind of a hybrid meeting. Um, I really feel it's useful to have at least some part of the meeting that sets the tone, that establishes some kind of shared knowledge base. 
um, and shows the kind of topics that we want to have covered. So we have four plenary sessions. Technically, these are not very unconference-like, but um, we found it worked really well last year for the Foresight Vision Weekend. So we decided to do it again this year. So we've got three debates and one keynote where the entire group comes together in, in a more organized way. And um, is, there a, is there a time relationship between that? Do we do all the debates and the keynote up front and then it becomes uh, kind of a free-for-all or is it mix and match or how does that work? So each day we open with a plenary and we close with a plenary. So you open as a big group, then you break out into the unconference format for most of the day. At the end of the day, we come together again. Oh, okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, um, the, the three debates. These look very interesting. The, the, the debate topics are synthetic biology, artificial intelligence, and longevity intervention. Now, um, how, did we, how did we decide on those, those three topics? How did, uh, how did those three become kind of the, the headline debate topics for the event? Well, what we did was we looked at what were the hottest topics. Certainly synthetic biology is, is a very hot topic right now. Um, all, of, uh, all of our organizing groups are very interested in longevity and life extension issues, so that was not a question. Um, and, of course, um, AI is relevant across the board. I mean, all of these technologies are going to be highly impacted by how well software is doing. Uh, and then, of course, for our keynote, um, we were very pleased to be able to get Paul Sappho, who is a, a, quite a, a well-known, or I'll say famous, actually, forecaster, um, who looks at the long term. And he, he, when he looks long term, he looks decades out, which is what we need for this conference. So we were very pleased to be able to get Paul to come as the keynoter. Yeah, that would be great. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, to hearing him speak and seeing him in person. And if you, if you go to the website, we'll be providing the, the link for those who are listening uh, in, our, in our program notes. And, of course, we've already got a link to, uh, uh, to the Convergence 08 website up on the Speculus. But uh, if you look at that list of the speakers, if you look at who's going to be, uh, who's going to be participating in each of these debates, plus uh, Paul Sappho there as the, as the keynote speaker, this is a great lineup of real talent and genius. I, I think you would you would have to say these are these are some of the some of the smartest people you're going to run into anywhere. And to see them in action, to see them interacting with each other, uh, is is just a real treat. I mean, it's a rare opportunity to get to experience something like this. And I think for the uh, I, I don't want to just be crass, but I mean, for the money you guys are asking for to attend this thing, it's really quite a bargain. I'm convinced. I think I'll buy a ticket and I'll get on the airplane right now. <laughs> okay, well, we've, we've, we've sold one. We right should. There. We should certainly. Ex <laughs> we should certainly hope so. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I was looking at the at the registration. It seems like I mean, you know, for, for an event like this, you would expect to. Uh, you would expect to have to uh, you would expect to have to pay quite a bit more to attend something like this. I think it, it, it looks it looks really exciting. looks like a looks like a great lineup. Um, well, let's let's get into uh, some of the possible ideas that that might be uh, that might be discussed. Michael, are you uh, have you fed that uh, instruction out to our uh, to our chat room yet that we're collecting ideas for the unconference? It has been fed. Okay, and and you've got lots of ideas you're ready to uh, to come back with. Uh, not yet. Can, can I, 
can I just jump in here for one second because I do want to make one point that's that well, I think is really important because it was so um, illuminating for me last year about the whole unconference format, and that is how enthusiastic and how creative and generative this format is. So you have these fantastic plenary speakers, that, which you, we can all come up with ideas that we want to do before we get to the conference. But what's so great is you can come up with those ideas that are generated by what you're experiencing at the conference. And of all the formats that I've ever experienced and all the conferences I've ever gone to, this particular format is the most exciting, the most enjoyable. I literally leave with an adrenaline high, unlike any other kind of thing I've ever attended, because you really feel like you've made significant, not just personal progress, but group progress. That's a great point, PJ. One of the, one of the things that I enjoyed about the unconference format last year was was just the fact that the level of participation that um, as an attendee that, that that you get to engage in is just unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Um, it's it's great to go to a conference and to hear a lot of exciting ideas and to uh, you know to, to to have your world opened up with 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 concepts you haven't considered before, but to actively engage with others, you know, to, to be part of the conversation, to even actually have the opportunity, if it's, if it's appropriate, to stand up and lead a session was, was really unique. I mean, I, I had never encountered anything like that, and, and I, would, uh, I would absolutely second what you said. It, it is quite a rush. Uh, it's, it's a very exciting time, and I, yeah, I don't think I've ever encountered anything quite like it before. It, uh, it, In fact, last year I know there were a number of people who, who attended who were very skeptical about the format and couldn't imagine that anything constructive at a high level could occur in such a freeform format. And by the end of it, they, they were all converts. They drank they drank the Kool Aid, <laughs> they got it, <laughs> and it was it was fantastic. Uh, just the, the 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 energy in that room by the end of the weekend was phenomenal. It really was. It was it was absolutely amazing. And I would have to list myself as uh, you know I try not to be closed minded about things, but when the unconference idea was first explained, I, I thought we're doing what exactly? I mean, uh, <laughs> how's this going to work? Um, and to see it come together was just, uh, is, is just an amazing, it's just an amazing process and, and loads of fun. Um, Phil, I should mention that the reason it works, it has worked so well at the ones I've attended, I think is because um, it's a, it, it builds on the quality of the participants. In other words, if you get interesting people together, interesting smart people all together in one uh, in one unconference facility, they will self-organize into something wonderful. Um, it probably wouldn't work if you didn't have such great people. And so I think a lot of it has to do with the quality of the participants themselves. I, I, I would agree with that. That makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Um, th there's, there's something almost, almost magical about, I, I don't know, getting really engaged, really intelligent people together who have uh, an interest in these these ideas have a passion for, for these kinds of topics and to see them bouncing ideas off of each other, to see, to see two different ideas uh, start to form into something completely new, it's just, it, it's an amazing and, uh, and, and really exciting process. 
And it's also a great opportunity for people to bring their own current projects and bring, and we encourage people to, to bring their current projects, bring demos, working apparatus, whatever it is they, they want to bring, and showcase these things or, or you know, alpha and beta on our group because you couldn't get a better audience with better critiques for your information than this kind of a format. Because the people who are there who are attending your talk want to be there and they want to help you with your project. And the feedback is incredible. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point, is that if, if you come with an idea, if you come with something uh, that, that you're currently developing or that uh, it, it occurs to you while you're there that this is something you'd like to talk about, when you have your session, the, the people who come to that are people who've looked at that and chosen that topic from several others that are available at that time. So, so you're, you're bringing together pe people who are, who are as interested in what you're talking about as, as, you, as you are. Exactly. Uh, Phil, Phil, we got uh, okay. David Ray has got a, a very interesting idea for a uh, for a topic. All right. Covering. What do we got? What about a discussion room? He asks, uh, in which participants stand up uh, to speculate how and when their own jobs will be made obsolete, but not in a doom and gloom kind of way. More of a how technology X will affect my industry. Oh, interesting. Okay, so people stand up and talk about when their jobs will be made obsolete. Uh, the idea being not uh, because they're, they're, they're moaning or complaining about it, but, but just from a standpoint of trying to get a, to get a handle on how automation and, and uh, other cha societal change is, is changing the, the, the workplace. What do, you, what do you think, Christine? Would an idea like that work at, uh, at the UnConference? Oh, absolutely. And I would encourage anyone who has a cool idea like that um, to go on the wiki and add the topic. Now, I believe you do need to register, of course, first in order to do that. But once you do register, you are given the login and the password to get into that wiki. And what you do is you just go in there, you put down the name of the topic, a, um, a, a description of the topic, and your name, and boom, you're, you're, you're rolling. All right. Okay, David Ray. So uh, you, can, uh, you, can, you can find a link to the website at the Speculist. You should, uh, you should include that one on the wiki. That sounds like a, that sounds like a winner. Although it, it occurs to me as I, as I think about that one, hmm, uh, a lot of the folks there are in these very advanced kinds of forward-looking, futurist kinds of jobs. So uh, their, their jobs might be around longer than, uh, the, the, than some other people's. Or perhaps not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Every, I think everyone's job will change. Maybe, maybe the people at the, at, at the UnConference will, uh, will have some idea, though, uh, about the changes that are coming, uh, more so they'll be more aware of it, perhaps. Well, well yeah. certainly uh, someone like someone like Paul Sappho will always have job security because there's always future. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, if you're, if you're Paul Sappho, <laughs> you know, or you, you know, or if you do the kinds of stuff we do, um, there's always something to look ahead to. You know, I, I guess until we get to the singularity, you know, there's there's always uh, there's always work for. Always work for futures, but that's a great one, uh, Dave. Thanks for thanks for contributing that, Michael. What else we got uh, going on out in the chat room? Um, that was the one one idea so far. Although I should say the one actual idea. Phil, this is Chris. Just to uh, to build on that last idea, 
Um, one of the main things you can do at these events is work on your own career and try to position yourself to be kind of later in that sequence of, of when people get laid off. Um, I'll give you two examples. Um, at, a, at a Foresight Vision weekend a few years ago, um, Ray Kurzweil met Terry Grossman, and they went on to write a book together. Uh, then last year, one of our senior associates happened to mention that he was interested in doing um, computational nanotechnology software. And I was able to say, well, but have you talked to these other folks here who have a company doing that? Are they aware of your interest and your skill set? And he said, I guess not. And so we marched right over there, and next thing I knew, he was working for that company. So I think, it's, I think it's important to, for people to go there, make, you know, go ahead and make it clear to everybody what they want, because if you make it clear what you want, people will try to help you get it. That's a great I point. have to say that, yeah, that's, that, that was certainly my experience. And whether it was looking for research for the book or even just, you know, other areas that I'm considering expanding into, that it, was, it was not only eye-opening for my own career, it was a wonderful networking and, and contact uh, uh, opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I think we met for the first time at that event. Isn't that right, TJ? We so. did. You, yes, we absolutely did. You introduced yourself, and, and how could I resist? Enough said. <laughs> I mean, there, the rest is history. So. <laughs> <laughs> you want to meet what, somebody what, wonderful what happens, like me, you got to go to the event. <laughs> I was going to say, what happens at the unconference stays at the unconference. <laughs> oh, no. That's why we have a podcast. So get out there. But, but I, love your, uh, I love your point, Christine. I think that's great. Uh, if, you want to, uh, if you want to avoid obsolescence, if you want to move ahead with your career, look at this, uh, look at this event as a, as a means of doing that. I think that's terrific. Um, what else we got? Uh, Stephen, I believe you had some, some thoughts for topics that, 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 that might sort well with the unconference. Well, I, you know, I was just, uh, uh, you know, kind of combing through uh, just some some of the latest news, and uh, you know, really looking for uh, nanotech things to talk about uh, uh, with our guest tonight. And uh, just look at, I mean, just for example, you're better all the time that you published. Uh, what was that? A couple of days ago, Phil? Uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, there was three things in there that I mean were. Uh, uh, that were nanotech related. Um, I mean, pretty much everything in the better all the time, every time, uh, every story in there would actually work as a subject at, at the unconference because it's not just nanotech anymore. But um, these three, uh, you know, the printing printing organs, um, which is basically kind of a fab lab idea of uh, printing uh, whole organs. And in that particular article, it was talking about printing a heart. Right. Um, and uh, then. Um, uh, Bucky paper, I thought was uh, is fascinating. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's carbon uh, uh, linked together like basically in uh, diamond type formations that I mean you could use to to armor your car or your airplane or I mean the the uh, the things that, that that Bucky paper could be used for. You know, it's just it's just amazing. Um, material science is is going to is going to just explode uh in the in the next few years and so that's kind of exciting as well absolutely well i i can see the uh uh the the, the discussion of printing human organs uh, fit, fitting fitting in very well with the synthetic biology debate that that will be going on and of course bucky paper is the kind of thing that uh, that has been discussed uh, at the uh, foresight vision weekend i guess ever since probably they've been 
uh, they, they've been having it, but um, uh, these kinds of uh, forward-looking, um, well, it's, it's not even as forward-looking now because now it's like they have Bucky paper. I mean, Christine, I would imagine that uh, when you first started having the uh, Foresight Vision Weekend, that was something that was being predicted, right? It wasn't something that existed at that time. It was uh, people were saying, well, in a few years, we might have this stuff that uh, that you can that you can do something like that with. Well, absolutely. Um, we've been having Vision Weekends for probably certainly over ten years. I think maybe fifteen years. So. Um, definitely. In the early days, it was all projections. Now we're starting to see some of these things uh, come along. And, of course, uh, as you know, what's the, the type of nanotechnology that Foresight is most interested in is the more advanced type, the molecular machine systems that could build with atomic precision. Right. So um, that, you know, that is still uh, projections, but the progress that has been made in, uh, over the 15 years uh, gives us a lot of confidence that we will get where we want to go. Christine, the word is that uh, Neil Gershenfeld blew a lot of minds at the Singularity Summit uh, about a week ago with his talk on, on exactly that, um, basically programming matter um, and, and how far they've come in, you know, uh, and, and being able to just on a macro scale, getting, getting close, to, you know, getting close to the point where you, you can uh, organize from the bottom up, and how, how much progress has been made. Well, I can believe it. I, I was at the summit, but I was out doing the hallway discussions that an unconference uh, facilitates better. So I, I can never just sit in an auditorium and listen to about 12 talks in a row, no matter how fantastic they are. But I'm, I'm familiar with his work, and absolutely, we, uh, programmable matter is a phrase to watch. And it's a, a very inspirational goal, and I think we're gradually getting there. So, um, yeah, I would say definitely track that. Um, you know, set your, uh, your web search engine alerts so that you get deliveries on programmable matter because that's the goal, certainly. There, um, there's a name for this science that's so new that you can't hardly – find anything on the internet yet, but uh, um, uh, according to uh, Rafe First, uh, it, uh, Neil Gershenfeld referred to it as asynchronous, asynchronous excuse me, logic uh, automata, or ALA, which, which, you know, programming, programmable matter, so. Okay, we'll watch that one too. <laughs> yeah, that's I, right. Pro programmable matter is a little easier on the... Uh, yeah, it's a little, yeah, I, I had some, some trouble. Asynchronous logical automata. Uh, automata. Yeah. You want to be more impressive. Yeah, I guess. So. You put it. You put it that way. Now, um, one of the things I saw there, Stephen, you had uh, before the program, you had directed me to uh, some some links about that. Now, and and the the one line that stuck in my head on this uh, programmable matter was, uh, we're about 20 years out from the Star Trek replicator. Now, was that Gersenfeld who said that, or was that Brian Wang's comment on that, or do you know? I think that was Rafe First who said that, oh, okay. and it was being quoted by Brian Wang. And um, <laughs> I guess, you know, if you have a prototype, I think everyone at the unconference would be interested in seeing that. <laughs> so. Anyone doing cutting-edge work in this, uh, definitely bring your uh, – Bring your replicator prototype. Absolutely, we want to see it. Uh, we, we want to see it in action. Um, what do you think of that prediction, Christine? Does that sound uh, th does that sound completely out of bounds, or is that is that possible? 
You know, I've uh, having tracked this field now for so many years, um, I tend to I tend to really avoid making specific date projections just because I know how difficult it is. Um, and I think the longer you track the field, the more you get that way. But we have to remember, and this is very hard for all of us to remember, really, um, that if we, in fact, are on an exponential curve, even if you've been feeling, gosh, things have not been, been going as fast as I would like, you can be surprised by how fast they end up going. So, and that's just something that we humans are just very bad at, at feeling in our guts. So I try, I try to keep an open mind, even though sometimes I think, gee, I wish things would go faster, then I have to remember, you know, you can be surprised in the other direction as well. So I, I don't put numbers, yeah, I don't put numbers on things. I, I, I find that very difficult to do, but I try to remember very, very much that it's possible that, that, uh, that we're going to see some very fast progress. We, we cannot rule that out. We, we can't rule it out, and it could happen much faster than than we expect. And I, I, I guess the, the the point of a prediction like that is that even 20 years from now would be a lot sooner than anyone ex- or not anyone than most people expect uh, a, a development like like that to, to occur. If it if it did occur in that time frame, that would be way outside most people's range of uh, when they expect something like that to happen. Uh, Phil, can I give uh, you a couple of examples of stories that surprised me exactly that way? I mean, this is this is stuff that we have now, and I had no idea we were this far along. No, Stephen, we don't want to get into that. <laughs> well, I'm going to jump in anyway. Yeah, no, it's a nice golly. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, smart insulin. Uh, this uh, to me, this is just fascinating. Uh, you, you take you, you embed insulin in a molecule that and it sits there idly in the bloodstream until it's needed. That way you can't it, it makes it very you know very difficult to overdose with this, uh, which is always the problem with it, with with someone who has who's diabetic and needs to take uh, regular injections. This way you can kind of load up on these things and then they're used when they're needed, and so uh, it, it helps stabilize blood sugar. And so that's a that's a big deal. That is is amazing, and this is in trial. It's it's being used now. Where where are they? Yes, it's in trial, and it's in the MIT Technology Review. Published the article, and I'm going to put the link in the chat room now. Now, the other story was, I thought, equally cool. They basically taking bacteria and altering it to make it sort of a bacterial nanobot, and then piloting that through the bloodstream of of animals. I assume. Um, with MRI, using MRI technology to just steer the stuff where you want it to go in the body. Uh, to me, that's just so cool. Amazing. And what, what, what's the bacteria doing once they steer it around inside somebody's body? Well, that's the, that's the cool thing. Anything you want it to do, I suppose. If it, you know, if there's one particular part of the body that needs medicine, you you steer it to that part of the body. Maybe you have cancer in a certain place. So. That is amazing stuff, and both of those are uh, the kinds of things that we write about in uh, on the Speculist or in Better all the time. These are actual news developments. These are not things that are being predicted. Yeah, it sounds like science fiction, but it's the real deal right now. Yeah, what's what's cool about that is that's that's the sort of thing that if you'd heard about it uh, twenty years ago, you would have definitely said, "Well, that's science fiction." I, maybe someday they'll have technology like that. And even if you hear about it today, if you describe that to someone. 
uh, you know, the average person in the street, they would say, yeah, that sounds like something, maybe we'll have something like that someday, not uh, the, the kind of thing that's actually happening right now. And one of the things that's really surprising is how much is happening that sounds absolutely uh, incredible, that, 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 sound, you know, that, that, that seems to be like something out of a science fiction story, um, and, and yet you have multiple instances of these kinds of things uh, going on all the time. Um, that, to the point that you were able to just, you know, pull two right out, right out of the air to, to talk about here. We, you know, I think if we if we spent some time, we could probably find quite a, quite a, quite a few more of those. I would think that science fiction authors have uh, got to really work nowadays to stay ahead. Well, let me oh, just forget say, about PJ's, it. It's hopeless. PJ, is that the problem? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a hard one because just when you think that. Well, you know, you used to have several years before something hits, you discover, you know, crap, the thing I thought that I had several years, I, I better get this to press fast, otherwise I'm writing history. Uh, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah, amazing. Hey, well, there's a topic. Uh, building, on, building on David's idea, uh, we can talk about the obsolescence of uh, employment for science fiction writers. It's, right? it's harder I'm going to start. I'm going to start. Like I'm going to start having a cup out there. I should maybe I should just collect <laughs> coins and sit in the hallways of the M conference. Because, yeah, we're right for food. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is why uh, this is why it's probably easier to go write you know uh, fantasy maybe or to to do a uh, uh, I don't know like a Star Trek tie-in or something like that. But to really try to engage with what's coming next, I think. Uh, gets harder and harder because because next is is um, the, the whole idea of what's next is is becoming so so hard to track and also is going to be so so world changing truly it's everything the things that are coming down the pike that everything you've just mentioned but especially the idea of of fabs and and all the rest are going to be so society changing that it's hard to even get people to think in those terms. It's, it, as Christine was saying before, you know, we're not great at assessing how fast things go, how good or bad things are, you know, and forget about uh, being able to consider anything outside of the way we live. It's very hard to convince people that, that remember that, that shift from the agrarian age to the industrial age? Well, that's nothing. Right. What, you know, from what we've got coming. You know, Phil, I was thinking if, uh, any, if any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, then fantasy writers might be in trouble, too. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, until they start making unicorns, I think we're okay. <laughs> yeah, but right. we can't rule those out. Even in the That's so true. I mean, you know, actually, unicorns are, are, are pretty close, so you now that I think about it. Yeah, synthetic biology and everything, I think that was crazy. Exactly. We can't rule out unicorns. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Christine, but uh, <laughs> is it fair to say we can't rule out unicorns? Well, I think we could... I think I think we could probably do unicorns just with um, biotech, really. Yeah. Probably yeah. there with the uni- if we wanted to. I mean, it, it would raise the whole "why would you want to do that?" I suppose, but uh, um, it's certainly within the within the capability that, that that probably probably already exists. This raises because it's cool. That's why you'd well because it. it would be pretty cool to see. It. <laughs> I, it might not be cool for the unicorn I, to the for the horse. <laughs> Well, here I am. I'm a horse with a horn on my head. Now what do I do? <laughs> um, 
what about this thought? This and this kind of relates to the the, the whole the whole issue of it's it's hard to keep up. How much of what we do at something like Convergence 08 um, is ready for regular public consumption, and how much of it is for kind of an insider group of people who spend a lot of time thinking about uh, these kinds of things? You know, is is it is it time for uh, for this message to get out to a broader audience, or is it already getting out to a broader audience? And uh, and, and does an event like this play a role in helping to get it out to, a, uh, to, to more people, if that's even I, a good idea? Yeah, I think, I, I think it is, it's an excellent idea. Uh, number one, I think it should. Number two, I think it is. Um, I find, I found just in the last several years uh, a great increase in the number of mass media stories that one would consider uh, futurist, uh, H+, whatever you want to call it. And mostly because journalists are starting to realize, oh, hold on, wait a second, this is really happening, this research is really happening, uh, et cetera. Um, and I think it's vitally important that people start to engage with these ideas for the reasons I was just saying, that you know, things, things are going to be changing and we need as many people to understand the choices that are going to be needed to be made as the future rushes to us. Uh, and in terms of coming to a place like Convergence, I think the wonderful thing about Convergence 08 is you can be both. You can be the insider expert, but as long as you come with an open mind, I think that it's a wonderful place for somebody who just wants to become introduced to these ideas because they'll never have better access to the very people who are working with these ideas than at a place like this, where they can really ask questions and have very positive, interactive feedback. Right, to actually be involved in the, in the discussion, really contribute to the, to the discussion. So it's not just a matter of becoming educated, but actually playing, playing a part in the dialogue that, that is, to an extent, shaping this emerging reality of, of, of the world that we live in. Absolutely, and what's interesting about the dialogue is it's, it's very much, a, it, the dialogue is needed two ways. It's not just that we hope we can educate people who aren't familiar with, with these concepts, but it's vitally important that the people working with these, in these technologies understand what goes on outside the lab, outside Silicon Valley, outside the universities, because there are tons of people who if they understood what was happening would have an opinion and those opinions will matter and if they have the more educated they are the more likely they will have a positive opinion from the point of view of the people working with technology absolutely well let me uh, uh, I, I have some follow-ups to that but let me say that this is fast forward radio on the blog talk radio network we're talking about convergence 08 and we're sharing ideas for topics to be discussed there if you'd like to join our discussion we have live chat or you can call us at 347-215-8972. Now, related to that, um, I, I think that uh, the, the idea of, of uh, providing a positive, uh, giving people the opportunity to respond positively to, the, to these kinds of ideas is hugely important. But I think there, there might even be more to it than that. Let me uh, talk about something I read recently on Michael Anisimov's blog uh, on uh, Accelerating Future. He was talking about 
I think the hypothetical question was, do we need somebody on Larry King? And uh, huh. yeah, the idea was, you know, do, 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 does our, in, in order to get to friendly AI, do we need that kind of broad-based public support? Does there need somebody to be somebody out there who's making those kinds of appearances, who, uh, uh, you know, has that level of uh, public exposure so that uh, everyone in the country, everybody in the world is talking about artificial intelligence? Or isn't this really something that can be accomplished on a much smaller scale with a much with a much smaller group of people. And I think absolutely for for the idea of just a, achieving friendly artificial intelligence or any particular technological development that you're that you're looking to work towards, you 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 can do it with a potentially can do it with a fairly small group of people and with this kind of uh elite insider kind of thing. But but the question remains, yes, but if this happens, this would impact all of our lives. It, it wouldn't just impact the lives of the people who got to participate in doing it. Uh, even the people who got to participate in doing it recognized that it, that it would vastly impact the entire world. And therefore, um, because we're talking about things that potentially will completely change everyone's world, potentially everyone has the right to, to be a part in making these decisions. Absolutely. Um, look, it's, it's one of the reasons why Humanity Plus created H Plus Magazine, which is our online magazine, which you can find at hplusmagazine.com, uh, H-P-L-U-S magazine. <laughs> um, we'll be sure to put, we, a, put a link up there on the Please uh, do put a link on it, because one of the reasons we, we created the magazine was to do this very thing. And, and the magazine is really aimed at people who are completely new to these ideas. Uh, it's aimed at students. It's aimed at young people who might be interested in working in these technologies. And, and that comes back to the idea of, of taking these ideas to the public at large. Because while you say, well, yeah, we could come up with these ideas on our own in our own little cloistered you know, towers, I actually don't think so, because we need more people working on these things. Um, we need more people, more young people involved in science. We need more people, uh, especially young people, who are enthusiastic about these ideas, just so they know that these are options. And you know, certainly with, with H Plus Magazine, we're trying to, to get that word out to a broader audience. And so far, I mean, so far it's been pretty good. Our first issue ha has had, uh, last count, I saw 415,000 hits. That's great. I'm happy. <laughs> That's very exciting. Yeah, it's very what exciting. You, what do you, uh, Christine, what do you think about that? Do we need, uh, do we need somebody on Larry King? How, what, what does the role of the broader public uh, uh, what, what do they have to play in terms of uh, in, in terms of the kinds of topics that we're talking about at Convergence 08? I think um, Foresight's view from the beginning has been that it, it does pay off to do public outreach. Um, I think um, one of the reasons that we're seeing some progress or, um, in nanotechnology, faster progress, is that there is more spending on nanotechnology, and that partly is due to the National Nanotechnology Initiative. And you know, Foresight was out there for a good decade or more, actually, promoting nanotechnology to the public and making that word be a powerful, positive thing to the public. And uh, that paid off in Congress when the day came to, uh, to fund that, that initiative. Now, would we like to see more of that money devoted to molecular machine systems? Yes, we would. And I think we will. Uh, and that means we just have to keep pushing. So 
yeah, I think do I think reaching out to the public is important, and part of it, partly because we can see what happens when you don't, when you do a bad job. For example, there's we've had a lot of delays now in stem cell research here in the United States, and partly that's because of poor public education, and that extended all the way up to our president, unfortunately. So. Um, obviously, there's a really uh, there's an important need if you want to see science and technology advance in positive directions to do really good public education. And, and I think with with an election occurring this week, it, it really drives the point home that um, that if you're if you're looking to um, if, if you're looking to the kinds of changes that that we're talking about at Convergence 08, if you're if you're looking uh, to the kinds of things that that, that PJ is talking about in Humanity Plus magazine, that ultimately these things do belong to all of society, and all of society is going to have a say in them uh, one way or another. And one positive way is by uh, is by choosing leadership that uh, uh, th that is tuned into these ideas and that um, and and that is ready to, to, to you know to support positive technological change. As close to a political statement as you'll ever hear from me, Stephen. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that's about as close as we get around here. Yeah, um, yeah we we avoid it like the plague normally. Um, I was just, you know, I, I was thinking about the the idea of the, you know having a guy on Larry King or something uh, with these ideas. It seems to me that some of these ideas, not in a scholarly or organized way, but some of these ideas seem to be filtering into popular culture. It seems like every other show on television now is a is about you know some some person that's got some special gift. They're a genius, or you know, if it's if you're not dealing with superheroes of some sort, you got some you know some some guy like the Mentalist that's who's who's crazy smart. Um, and sometimes you know I think some of the uh, the ideas are played with in, in fiction in those ways, and, and the and the public is exposed to some of those ideas that way. Well, yeah, and it certainly shows that, uh, that that people are familiar with these ideas now. I mean, because if if they're showing up in all the TV shows, they're showing up in the movies, uh, and, and you do, you see references to nanotechnology nowadays. I mean, right. you, time was you never heard of that, and now you do. So in some ways, it's kind of filtered into the uh, uh, to, to the uh, to the unconsciousness, maybe to the to the to the public consciousness. But I wonder if. Um, Christine probably groans at a lot of these things that she sees on television, but I'm you know, guessing. Actually, um, I did uh, initially in the early days, but I've become much more blasé about it now, and I think now just even if there's a grain of, of useful information, even if it's embedded in um, perhaps some confusion, um, I think it still pays off in the long run. Yeah. Because it's 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 pushing us it's pushing us in the direction where we're at least comfortable talking about these things if uh, if nothing else we're 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 at least not shocked by the idea right it's it's mm -hmm. at least an idea that uh, that that we can entertain once you reach that mm -hmm. point of course you, you talk about TV shows we we should mention uh, the the show we've we've talked about before it's actually a sitcom which is uh, the Big Bang Theory uh, kind of a watershed moment in uh, in, <laughs> in television uh, a TV show about a bunch of geeks. And, and they're, I mean, they're funny, of course, because it's a sitcom, but they're not the butt of the joke. They're the heroes of the show, uh, and then also the butt of the joke at the same time. But, uh, but it's a, it's, it's a great thing that it's a show about four really smart guys, um, and some smart women too. But I mean, it, it, it centers, it centers on them, um, and that that's perceived as uh, sufficiently 
uh, interesting in and of itself that you could that you could do a whole TV show about it. They don't have to be football players or um, you know pilots or you know something glamorous like that. They're all physicists, and yet they're the they're the center of a TV show. And I, I think that's a that's a really positive step that uh, that popular entertainment has taken. Well, I call that the geekification of the culture. Um, and it really is a geekification. Uh, we're a culture where Bill Gates and Steve Jobs are at the, at the pinnacle, and everyone else responds to their products, their ideas, etc. Um, and we now can't function without some of those products or ideas. So if we're interacting with their products, we have to be a little bit of a geek, too. Right. Yeah, it's gotten in, hasn't it? I mean, every, Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's true, and we only know it's true because we're geeks also. You know? Yeah, right. We, we, laugh at, we get to laugh at our own geekiness when we watch things like, you know, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> so which one of you think – so if you had to be one of the guys, which one would you be? Oh, definitely Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a chance with he's got a chance with a girl across the hall. Sheldon has no chance at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sorry. I'm going a different way. I'm going to say I want to be Wallowitz because he's just got this perfect, comfortable level with his life. You know, I mean, he, he knows he's awesome. He dresses the way he wants to, and uh, he's got this confidence that I just find very uh, very endearing. Uh, plus, that haircut is pretty hard to beat. Now, um, Michael, last chance for uh, for ideas for the conference from the chat room. Yeah, I think Matt had a uh, a good one, and it was it was uh, it was interesting because the chat and the the discussion were sort of converging at one moment there. Uh, but Matt suggested a topic about uh, virology and viruses in general, um, and. And I tried to make, draw him out a little bit and ask, you know, like weaponized viruses or, you know, measles as the cure for cancer or what. And he said, yeah, all of the above. And uh, and then, okay, David Ray suggested that, and this is right where you guys were talking about uh, the same thing. Okay, David Ray said, uh, yeah, this is a good place to have a discussion about the appropriate role of the public sector financing and even perhaps regulating nanotech. Oh, okay, oh, well, definitely. obviously that's a that's a, an issue of great importance uh, both to the regular participants in Foresight Nanotech, and I believe the Center for Responsible Nanotech is is uh, another one of the groups either sponsoring or supporting this event, and and that's that sort of issue is sort of their focus as, as well. We'll be covering, um, in particular, in terms of sort of regulation, we'll be covering a new concept called open source sensing or open physical security, which uh, takes the position that we should apply open source principles to more of these issues. And I think um, that's been a very popular concept, a lot of interest in that, and I think we'll be exploring that pretty thoroughly at the unconference. That sounds great. So, uh, anything else, Michael, from the uh, from the chat room? Sounds like some of the stuff that uh, they're looking for will will be covered at the conference. Uh, yes, and then of course there was just me acknowledging that yes, uh, you and Stephen are geeks. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> uh, well, we won't we won't talk about which character you would be from. Uh, if, if, if 
if only time permitted, but sadly we're, we're going to have to uh, – actually, we're going to have to wrap it up. I can't believe how quickly the time has gone by, but uh, I want to uh, say a very, very big thank you to our two special guests, Christine and PJ. Thanks for thanks for being with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the program, and you're welcome to, uh, to come back and talk with us anytime. Look forward to seeing you both in a couple of weeks. Likewise. Thanks, Phil. It's and thank you, Stephen and Michael and PJ. It's been great, and uh, I hope to see as many of you as possible in two weeks. All right. Well, for those of you listening who are interested, we have a link directly to the registration page uh, at the Speculus. So if you go to our show notes, you will see uh, information. You'll see a link to the Convergence 08 website. Consider going. It's two weeks from yesterday, I believe, the 15th and 16th of November. It's in the computer. Uh, tell, tell me again what that is, PJ. Computer History Museum. The Computer History Museum in Mountain View, California. Uh, looking forward to seeing a lot of you there. Hope, uh, hope uh, you can put the word out, and we look forward to seeing a great group and having a fantastic time. Okay, Stephen, what do we got going on music-wise this evening? The band is Bells for Her, and the song is Oh Dear. Okay, we're going to listen to Oh Dear by Bells for Her. Thank you for your contributions this evening, Stephen. Michael, thanks to you and to all our friends in the chat room. And to everyone listening, we thank you for being part of Fast Forward Radio, and we look forward to being with you again very soon. Until then, good night. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.